Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Event Industry News podcast. I am Adam Parry, editor at Event Industry News, and today I am joined by James Tucker, the CEO of Go- GovNet. James, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Adam. Um, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you, mate. It's it's raining in Manchester, but but that's nothing new. And I know that you said um, previous to the call that you used to be in Manchester as well, born and bred, right? Is that right? That's right. Yeah, um, I've I've been living in London for a while, not not just for the slightly better weather, but um, <laughs> we we've, we've had a sunny couple of weeks down here, slightly slightly ruined by some rain yesterday. Yeah, it's, uh, it's we call it Costa del Manchester when it's anything above uh, 20 degrees. So um, London's definitely a few degrees warmer. Um, James, interestingly, before GovNet, you wasn't actually in the event space, were you? Could you just give us a little bit of your background of what you did before GovNet? Because I, th- I found that really interesting. And then we can kind of go into how you're now with GovNet and your role at, at GovNet as well. Sure, that's right. So I guess um, my route into the events industry is probably quite odd um, compared to most. Um, Very recently, so I joined the events industry about a year and a half ago, and very recently before that, um, I was actually working in fund management, um, uh, specifically running a US stock portfolio for um, the British Airways Pension Fund, um, which kind of drives... um, what I think is our common love of technology. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I, I am absolutely, for my sins, a tech geek. So uh, first adopter, early adopter. Um, the wife hates it because I spend lots of money on gadgets and things and test things out. So yeah, absolutely. We're, we're kindred spirits there, mate. What's, what's the most pointless thing you've got in your house? Oh, uh, one of them. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually quite good at selling them back if I don't make use <laughs> of them. Um, I'm, I tell you what I'm terrible at more than what I'm good at is if I've got something and I don't use it, I tend to, like I said, I tend to resell it and, and, and put it back out there for somebody else to make use of it. But I'm a serial upgrader and right. that's where I spend lots of my money, you know, um, even even now with the podcast, I'm kind of looking, okay, so I've got a HD camera, it does 1080p, but I could just do, it's 4K where it's at, you know, I've got a good mic, but maybe I could do with a better mic, I've got a good TV, but maybe I could do with a better TV, so I'm, that's, you know, I'm, I, I overspec everything, and that's where all my money goes, mate, I don't know about yourself. Um, I've got, um, I've got one of those automated lawnmowers that I've, <laughs> I've actually, um, I'm actually too ashamed to send it back. Like I wish I could say I sent stuff back, but I'm too embarrassed that I bought that one. I, I just can't face it. So does it, so did it not work? Is it, is it useless? No, it's crap. Right. <laughs> I'll, I'll let the wife know that because she suggested that to me literally three or four days ago. Um, we've been on about getting the traditional lawnmower with the, with the cable for an electric one. And she's like, oh, there's a 500 pound automated lawnmower. I was like, I just don't believe that's going to work, right? Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get in? How, let's, let's go back. How did you get into events then? How, how did that transition work? Into, into where you are now? So GovNet is actually a family business for us. Um, so it was founded by my mother. Um, oh, right, okay. And um, it's quite an interesting story. Like we were always very, very against me joining GovNet. So I, I, I'm like, I was, I, I always enjoyed kind of watching from the sidelines how yeah. the events 
um, industry worked. It seemed like a really exciting place. Um, and then I was loving what I was doing in fund man management. It was honestly so exciting. Um, I got to meet so, so many amazing management teams, especially in tech, learn about how they'd grown their businesses. Um, but there's kind of something missing being a fund manager. It's quite hard to explain. Um, okay. It was something about going to meet these management teams and then they'd go away and do all the cool stuff. And then I, I'd sit there in front of six Bloomberg screens and kind of decide whether I was going to buy the stock or not. It, it just didn't feel like I was involved. Not quite Wolf of Wall Street then, right? Maybe no, just a little bit. Not as cool. Um, a lot more reading and a lot more compliance people. Let's okay. <laughs> Um, so, um, yeah, I wanted to get a bit more involved in running a business, um, was, was thing, thinking about doing an MBA as a way to go into that. But yeah. a, a lot of people I was speaking to just said, if you're really passionate about running and growing a business, which I am, and you found a sector that you think you might like, then just go and do that. So we, we, we started having conversations and I joined the business about a year, year and a half ago, really, really my job is to take the amazing stuff they're already doing um, sort of together with their colleagues, but, but also for our customers and our audiences as well, um, and make that a little bit easier with tech. So okay. um, bring some technology into us internally so we can do more and do what we do already a bit better. So you would what be what I would class as the disruption. Right. So many, many event businesses have, and there's nothing wrong with this. I've had great businesses running a format that's not broken. Right. You know, events, events are brilliant at bringing people together, providing a platform for lots and lots of business to do. And it's just one of those things that can't be replicated by even the advance of digital technology. Right. You can't, you can't get any emotion from a banner advert or a, or a LinkedIn advert or anything like that. They're great. There's lots of stats behind them. It's cost effective, but that there's something that events just have that, that can't be replaced. But on that, you're probably coming by the sounds of it from a very technology led analytical perspective with your experience in, in fund in funds and applying that to the events industry, which I find fascinating. Um, and I'll just expand on that very ever so slightly. One of the most interesting events I went to last year in Miami was by the Society of Independent Show Organizers. And I won't name him, but a very, very well-known head of a very, very large global exhibition company um, was asked the question of what's the biggest threat to the events industry and fully enough there was no pandemics at that time so you know it wasn't it wasn't a pandemic but he phrased it as it's somebody coming into the events industry from a technology background that doesn't care how events have worked in the past right they're kind of looking at it from very much from a technology-led perspective so i guess that's where you've come into governor am i understanding and understanding that correctly yeah like the way i try try to look at it is is we we exist to serve a specific purpose for our customers and yeah. for our or, or um, for our audience, but yeah. to a certain extent, I don't really care how we do that. Um, it's it, it, as long as we're fulfilling that core need and we're doing it well. Um, I'm like I kind of have carte blanche to investigate any way that we can make that happen, and I was I think I was quite fortunate with the team we already have because they they were already really excited about lo looking at some some of this stuff. Um, there's 
as it happens, I, I still think live face-to-face -face events will be a significant portion of that, but yeah. it's, it's nice not to be tied to any specific process and we really can tackle it any way we want. So you've been thrust into um, an events industry with a year and a half of experience behind your VAWA sector and now all of a sudden I would imagine being the technology guy and with your team all eyes are on you of like James how do we sort this out how do we keep in connection with our audience with our customers drive revenue while live events can't happen is that the case and if so how have you how have you and your team been approaching the the, the current situation of events at the moment on hold? Sure. So I think um, I I want to talk about the business first of all. If that's okay. okay. I think yeah. You'll, you'll find this quite interesting. So um, you'll know because you run your own um, event tech event. Yep. That the event cycle is so sort of it, it, it's so tight and so busy most of the year that you never get a chance often to look at some of the technology within your own business. So the the, the first True. thing we've really done. It's taken this opportunity to kind of accelerate some of the business platforms we were put, putting in, things like that. And I think, I, I think that's a really exciting opportunity for a lot of events organizers and suppliers. It's rare that we've ever had this space and it's not nice. It's not nice to have time to think about this stuff because we'd rather be doing events, but at the same time, you've got to seize that opportunity. Yeah. And you've got to use that to look at your own tech in your business and make the changes that you've never had the chance to make so that I, I think that's the first thing we're doing that's really that's really exciting for me it's I, it's really bad to say this um but i because the external environment is awful and we know the impact and feel the impact it's having on our industry but i think i've probably had the best five or six weeks at work i've had since i've joined because you've had the time and the freedom to be able to have a, do things properly maybe is, is is that the right way of framing it and it, it pulls everyone together to focus on specific changes and to really it's a good chance for everyone to set themselves up for the next phase of growth and what we want yeah. to achieve in the future so um it's it's rare that you get that opportunity so you've got it you've got to take it so would you for those that are listening would you expand on some of the things that you've taken um i don't know what processes what technology what platforms or or maybe suppliers that you're working with um, on that what have you been focusing that effort on what processes and technology have you taken the time to refine uh, sorry re um, refine or, or implement quicker or bring up to speed or, or improve so I think the main focus for us has been marketing probably. So we, we were probably like a lot of events organizers, a little bit stuck in our ways with, with the way we marketed and, and there was the hunger for improvement, but it goes back to what I was saying before, like when do you get that time to disrupt your existing marketing process to change your marketing process? So, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we are still, we, we're still engaging with our audiences. We're still engaging with our customers, but you've just got that little bit of room now to start to look at this stuff. So um, we're, we're, we're introducing um, a new marketing platform and some processes around that, that we probably would have had to spread out before, whereas now we can accelerate that and do it quickly. Okay. What, what kind of, what kind of ability is that, that marketing platform going to afford you and your events teams? What, what tools and technology are going to help you do things better? Is it, marketing automation is it looking actually at and being able to segment data into pers personas so that you can 
specifically market to those people or is it actually as well as maybe connecting up the dots so that when those people turn up to an event you can actually then you know trace them back and prove ROI and have a much better picture and understanding of, a, of an attendee maybe. Yeah so it's all about understanding our customers um, it, it, it does obviously touch on things like automation using mm-hmm. that as a way to communicate with them better but the, the key for me is understanding 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 so we we want a view on every single touch point so we can start to tease out what they're interested in we so we know what message to deliver so we can serve them much more efficiently through this process we can even start to deliver specific content and specific events for them based yeah. on what on what we know about them and there's so much data that we have to now make these decisions and make sure that we're really looking after our customers yeah um, that opportunity really really can't can't be missed and we're super excited about that i think i think you're also on the line of of a of a wave that i'm seeing when i speak to exhibition organizers and event organizers like yourself that are kind of pulling back from maybe the opinion-led decision-making, those of the events teams, or, or even maybe those one or two large incumbent suppliers that are, you know make up a big sponsorship play or a big exhibition play at one of your events and going, we really need this and everybody in the industry needs this. And then you go, okay, well, we'll do that then with, without the data backing up as the rest of the audience, right? Because the, the, your relationships with them and they're strong and maybe your team's really passionate about something and they're like, we should do this because we think it's the right thing to do. And that's risky, right? It's almost like gambling, right? You, you're kind of going on the, the whim of somebody. But actually data-led decision-making, what that really excites me is that almost i don't know maybe this is me just going away with the fairies but that minority style kind of like okay we want to launch an event here what audience do we have for that is there an audience and it quickly would go yes or no and it it kind of figures it out for you and and you can make organic growth decisions based on the populace of what you the people that you already bought into your events and bought into your brand and you have relationships with rather than going out and launching a new event and trying to find all those brand new people right which is super risky yeah so i think you for me you've hit the nail on the head like that um it's funny you mention it's funny you mentioned gambling because i'm going to kind of refer to my fund management experience a bit um but um the way the way we used to think about it when you're investing in stocks is the moment you start to think you're right and the moment you're not making kind of objective data-driven decisions then you will not last very long like you interesting you have to accept the fact that your opinions are going to be wrong and you're better relying on what facts the data say to make informed choices. Now I need to be really careful because I'm probably as excited about this as you are, but I don't go too far. I, I, I believe that there always should be a bit of, we are experienced in this sector and Mm -hmm. we know this works well. Don't get me wrong. That should always be part of our process, but, absolutely you've got to focus on enriching that decision making process with the data you have and rather than speculating i think this area is going to be interesting or i think there's this many people who want this stuff i'd almost rather use engagement and um content especially to to tease out those numbers and for, for for the data to tell me where the interesting areas are rather than it being the other way around um, yeah. 
as I said, I get carried away with this stuff, so you've got to make sure you don't get too far. No, no, I, th I think you're absolutely right. That there always needs to be, but there always is going to be a human element, you know, no, no matter what a computer tells us, right? You know, there's, there's, there's so much more that makes up a human than just, just data. And you're right, going on, let's be honest, you know, going on a hunch or an opinion or your own, your own experiences is what the events industry is built on, you know, up until now, up until recently, maybe in the last 15 years, we've not had access to as much data as we've ever had to. We've not had the tools to be able to build profiles around our audience and our attendees and our sponsors and things like that. Now we're actually kind of drowning under a, a mountain of data and, and no real way to kind of look at it objectively and all that kind of stuff. We're moving there. Clearly companies like yourself are moving in that direction, trying to better understand the data they have and then build out from there. But I think what it, for me personally, what it would bring about is a quicker process in which information could be presented in front of the decision makers, the humans, and, and, and then their opinions come in to go, okay, we've found 10, what we think are maybe 10 good opportunities, in your opinion, what's the great one? And then go with that, right? So it's about smarter decision making, quicker decision making, rather than kind of, you know, throwing it out yeah. there and see what sticks. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And you can never underestimate the value of a phone call to one of your customers, that like just having that conversation, always asking, the next question, understanding what their real challenges are. Like, it's really hard to summarize that in a table of data or in yeah. a certain amount of touch points with your website. That won't happen. You can never underestimate the value of just having that honest phone call with your customers and understanding what they want. But let's, let's be honest with you. That's, that's just good business practice and sales process. Anyway, when you present your potential customer with a set of research and say, listen, we think this is the way to go. It shows that you are committed enough to an idea to put time and you're not just coming to them with a, an idea to try and sell them something. It's, it's off the back, back of something that they can look at themselves. And then if they tell you a good idea, they're basically bought into it. You know, how can they refuse not to be a part of something that they think is a good idea, right? Um, unless all of a sudden they've sold the business and they're no longer a decision maker or whatever, there might be a few reasons, but that's just good business. That's just good sales process. But yeah, you are right. Absolutely. We should always engage with, with attendees. I think what would be interesting for me to ask you next is that bridge from, you know, looking at a, a, a data set, deciding, having that human interaction and making a decision to launch an event we've been thrust into the throes of having to look at online digital options at the moment because live events can't, can't happen. Um, I won't tell you what my opinion is because I want yours to, to come naturally across, but do you think technology like online and digital can play a role in launching an event online before we take the risk of a physical event with all the you know, financials that come along with that venue, supply chain, all that kind of stuff. What, what's your opinion on that, that part? I think to sum, summarize, absolutely it can. Uh, I, I don't think anyone can disagree with that any, anymore, especially as what we've proven in the last six weeks as, as, an, as an industry, the scale of the, which, and the speed with which we've adopted these technologies, I think shows it's absolutely possible. I think we're, we're quite unique place to kind of talk about some of the challenges here because of our 
portfolio of events at Govnet. So we we run quite a big spectrum, all the way from small training courses, yep, um, to 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 um, larger um, shows, and I think what we're finding with virtual events is it's quite easy to replicate the kind of learning part of an event. Mm-hmm. So by that, I would kind of define it as the information transfer yeah. from like one source to another, whether, whether that's a trainer to an attendee or a speaker to a, dele- um, to a delegate, it's the same thing. Like virtual events are quite good at that. Um, and that can absolutely, for your question, be used as a way to prime an audience, to test engagement yeah. with a specific topic, um, to inform pe- people. It's a really vital tool. What, what I'm struggling with um, is finding technology that is good at judging the connection part of mm. what, we, what most of our courses and events involve. So let's take those smaller training courses as an example. Um, you'd think they'd be very learn, learning-led, so they are um, like you, you should be able to take it and put it on Zoom. Like there's an instructor and there's people listening, but actually, so much of the feedback from those is about that kind of shared learning experience and going through the same personal development process with other people, sharing phone numbers and staying in touch with them after the course. Yeah, and that bit is quite hard. To virtualize or i've not seen any technology that does a really good job yet um what what do you think i i would agree with you i was it's it's funny i was talking to a gentleman called matt culverhouse at yeah. 106 agency creative um and he was giving his own experience in very much that same vein of he i think he attended a zero webinar to talk about payments furloughing cash flows all that kind of stuff and it was very much product-led. So it was, a, it was a training exercise. It's like, we are, Matt, we are going to teach you how to use your product that you're paying for better. He walked away from that and, and, and said to himself, I'm not sure I'm any of the wiser on how to do this. Googled it, jumped on YouTube, saw a guy coming from it from his own experience um, as somebody that used Zero, and funnily explained it to in a way that Matt understood that he then, then could go off and apply straight away. And I think that's very testament to your point that one of the values of, let's say, those learning environments and those learning events is that during the networking breaks and the coffee breaks and even the guy sat or the girl sat next to you, you can kind of go, do you understand what you meant there? Because I'm not quite clear on, on that element and that point, right? So you have all those opportunities to get other, perp- other people's perspectives on what you are currently engaged with, whereas virtually, you're isolated, aren't you? You're kind of in your own bubble and you're on your own and you either do or don't understand it. Maybe you can use the chat function to ask some questions, but that's also prohibitive because not lots, lots of people do not want to put themselves forward in a public environment to ask a very public question. Um, yeah. So it's, it's kind of restricted in, in that way as well. Yeah, I feel, I, I feel quite strongly about that. That's, that's one of the reasons I feel quite confident that live events will remain part of what we do just because I don't think you can really underestimate the kind of um, the little conversation that happens over a um, a sandwich during the lunch break, or yeah. like those ju- just those little connections that happen automatically at live events. Um, I, 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 I'm I'm not seeing anything yet that really does a good job of replacing that, and it's yeah. it's it's such a big part of what we do as an industry. I think um, I. I 
I think will probably take some time if we ever do replace that. Like it's I, it, it's possible that we all turn into kind of lounge potatoes where we just sit there <laughs> with them computer versions of ourselves that meet in remote rooms. But um, I think if anything, what this crisis has taught me, I don't know how you feel, Adam, but um, I think I really miss that kind of human interaction, whether it's with colleagues, family, friends. Um, so I, 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 I'm, I see that as being part of our industry for quite a while. Yeah, as a as a as an events person, as somebody who lives, breathes, goes to events myself that I pay for, ticket holder, you know, that's that's one part of my life, and then I spend the rest of it in an event from a from a business or a commercial aspect, right? So I I talk about it, I read about it, I learn about it, like it makes up such a big proportion of my life. And one thing that's interesting that nobody's really spoken about. Um, that I've not seen recently is um, the change in people's attitudes to working from home, um, which I, which will bring me back to events. But you know, there's a there's a number of organisations, small, medium-sized businesses, and some larger ones that I've spoken to that are questioning the need for a physical office, right? Um, which a lot of people get social interaction through. Me and my wife joke actually recently that you know all of her friendships has come through work. And it's just, yeah. you know, that's just a natural part. You spend so much time with people at work that you become friends with them and all that kind of stuff. All of a sudden, there's this big gaping hole in your day-to-day social life or your day-to-day mental well-being in, in sharing experiences and, and tidbits of news and all that kind of stuff. Now, I can absolutely see an increase in working from home. Um, I think there's mo- lots of benefits, not only in you know, time, um staff you know well-being in terms of not having to commute in some people you know i know people that commute over an hour into london to go to work on a day-to-day basis that's a huge amount of somebody's time stress all that kind of stuff that goes along with that and there's also the cost saving element you know companies not having to have multi-million pound offices or, or large contracts three-year like leases all this kind of stuff does have a benefit to um, sustainable business practices, right? Especially if another coronavirus happens, you've not all of a sudden got to get everybody to work from home. But what I think that will bring into our industry is an ever increasing desire to attend events because they will become those pit stops along the way that you look forward to, that you can go, you can reconnect up with your colleagues all at the same place. You can reconnect up with customers and clients and prospects and all those friends that you want. So I think actually in some ways, a working from home environment could actually increase the appetite to go to an event massively, um, more so because it's a change from the norm. And I think that's a really big positive for um, what might happen over the over the coming years or 12 months or 18 months in terms of appetite to, to come to events. Yeah, I think that's an amazing point. I, I, I'd not really thought thought about it like that before, but if you think about um, what, what what's driven WeWork and things like that, for example, like it, it, it is that we don't, necessarily have to have a permanent location but people still want to get together um and it probably used to be coffee shops but coffee shops have their limitations and space and things like that um so i think that's really driven things like we work and you're absolutely right that i think events could be that home so when an industry comes together rather than when a company comes together yeah it's in that one place on that one day and 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 you're making those connections seeing the people you know yeah absolutely absolutely okay i want to ask you from somebody that's come outside the events industry now delivering 
live events and, and an interest in technology. What technology have you seen that gets you excited when you look at the on-site experience, when you look at the like the actual way that events design, the technology that place, and it could be as simple as like a cool registration process or a, a lead scan or a, a heat map or a facial recognition or something like that. I, I won't put words into your mouth, but what kind of from from out, look outside looking in have you thought that's really cool, that could that could change events. I think some of the coolest technologies and um, that I've seen at, at many sector shows, I'll be honest, that when we're we're not using a huge amount of them, but there was the stuff that I find really cool is the stuff that participates audience engagement. So we're, mm -hmm. we tend to run quite content heavy events. It, it, they're mainly events for um, for the public sector. They were doing some in technology, and we've always prided ourselves on having people who are really passionate about the industries and that translate into good content. And the natural step for me next is how do I get, how do I get the audience to participate in that content in, in real time, really? So it could be something as simple as Slido, yep. which works and it works well. Um, yep. But I've seen, I've seen some products where, whether it's live surveying, whether it's um, live questions, being able to send in remote questions via social media. I think we're getting a lot better at getting that feedback into the content and starting to dictate where those panel discussions go. I think that's, that's a super exciting prospect for me. I would, I would absolutely agree with you. And there are other options available other than Slido, although they're one of our partners and, and, and a company that we work with, Event Tech Live, as, as many as others like Glisser and Vbox, et cetera. And I'll be honest with you, um, you know, the data out of the back end of it, that's up to you what you do with that. One of the great things that we did with it, though, and this was going back a, a few years ago now, was we had a speaker, a guy called Julius Solaris from Event Manager Blog, you may have heard of him, who, you know, wanted to do a session with us. I approached him and said, listen, we'd be really cool to get you involved in the event. Um, at the time, he didn't really have anything new to say other than what he'd already kind of said at other events or through his own website and publication and, and, and other things. And I said to him, you know, what's, what's really interesting to me, the technology now affords us to focus on what the audience there, their own burning desires and questions to, 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 to get them to bring essentially the Q&A right forward. Don't leave it till the last 10 minutes of the event where people all of a sudden have to scramble to answer their question. That's not what Slido's built, right? That, that Slido isn't built to be used for the last 10 minutes. Slido's used to be built, and so is Glisser and others, to be used all the way through the event. So we positioned it to him is, right, do a 10-minute opening, set the scene, and then we're going to do 40 minutes of Q&A. Now, he, yeah, I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, he, that scared the shit out of him because he was like, I've never done that before and I don't know what people are going to ask me. But it was one of the best sessions we had at that event that year because everybody felt that they got the opportunity through a technology and, and, and Julius could manage this based on where he wanted to go and how he wanted to see things together with the questions coming in. But the audience walked away with like everything that they wanted to know. And that, that to me was one of the best ways to deliver a session using technology like that. Um, I've also seen fellow industry colleagues actually have a presentation set out with a number of different branches after the way that it could go. And then based on what audience was asking them or certain polls and things that they had positioned throughout so they could manage it, 
they went off on a different route. So they didn't just go, right, this is my presentation. I'm going to speak about this for 45 minutes. This is the start, middle and end. And off we go. They kind of go, right, this is the start. This is the bit in the middle before the middle. And we're going to decide where to go. So there was like, I think, six endings or something like that. They only spoke about one, but there were six yeah. endings based on the number of interactions that people got. Um, and I've also seen some really interesting technology that works on waiting and people changing the mind. Um, so one of the things at the moment is when you ask somebody a question or a poll, it's very in the moment, right? And, and sometimes it's asked right at the beginning of a of a of a session, which is odd to me because you've not given any information over at that point. You kind of just gone, here's a poll. What do you think? And like, well, based on what? Exactly. There's there's some technology coming out from a supplier, um, which actually allows you as the audience member to kind of split your decision. So hedging your bets, right? You can put twenty percent on answer A, fifty percent on answer B, and the rest on answer C. And then actually, as you go through, new information comes into you. You can actually change your mind and that, that technology tracks all that. So you get that as an organizer and a speaker, but ultimately the end result could be totally different to the, to the beginning result. So I agree with you. I think, you know, engagement technologies is such a powerful tool for us as organizers at, at live events. What, how do you, how do you guys use it? So I think, um, it, I'm, I'm, I'm to be honest, really excited to hear, hear about some of the stuff you've mentioned. I didn't actually know so, some of that was available, so I'm definitely going to look into that <laughs> podcast. But I think our, um, our challenge is um, exactly as you've highlighted that you, you've got speakers who have different preferences, right? So yeah. there's no one size fits all. You can't have, um, you can't say to every single person that comes in, I, I hope you're comfortable, but we're actually not going to let you speak. And we're going to just do a 40 minute Q&A session with people who are basically baying for blood and they <laughs> wanted to speak to you for nine months. It's going to be horrendous. Like there's, 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 there's some of our, there's, there's some of our speakers that wouldn't be comfortable with that. And they just want to come in, give their presentation um, yeah. and then go off, which is, which is fine. And the, the audience is there to hear that presentation. Yeah. But it, it's about finding something that's flexible depending on the speaker's preferences. I think what what we do is is maybe a little bit less sophisticated, and that's that we, we rely quite a lot on the chairs. So a lot of our sessions are driven by where the chair wants it to go. And the best chairs are the ones that can weave in the audience interaction with what the speakers want on the panel and do that in a way that uses the technology that's available to them and kind of brings it all together. Yep. Like they have to judge what the audience wants at that specific point. If if they start off trying to do a five minute presentation, then 40 minute Q and A, and then no one's asking any questions, then what do you do? So, I, I, and I think it's about being it's about being responsive and yeah. about listening to preferences. Yeah, I've, I've been there myself. I had to moderate and. Um... No offense, maybe a bit of a dry panel, not really much coming from it. No, and therefore no questions really coming from the audience. And, and as a moderator, that makes your, your job really challenging. I think when you've got a good panel and you've got questions coming in, you know, that's, it actually makes your job easier as a moderator, a, a lot easier. You just have to, like you say, um, stick the pieces, pieces together. Um, for anybody listening, one great example I would use is, is remember that Things like Q&A technology, which me and James have been, been speaking about, is available to you and your audience well in advance of, an, of a live event. 
Yeah, you can set these things up at any time. We did an event at the beginning of um, January around sustainability and had a very strong panel, very, very, three very strong individuals on it, which I knew could probably speak for 45 minutes just on their own. So we needed to make sure that the audience got what they wanted. As part of the audience engagement leading up to the event, we actually sent a Slido link out in this example to them with two things. One was a poll, just to get a general of opinion to kick things off and to kick the conversation off. Where's, where's people's heads at when it comes to event sustainability? And the second was we actually gave them the opportunity at that point to submit their questions in advance. And I think we had 30 questions before the event even kicked off. So then that gives you so much direction. It kind of goes back to the whole Q&A scenario with Julius, except it's putting it in a much more informal format when it comes to a, comes to a panel. Um, so you just have to get creative about how you use these technologies in, an, in, in your event design, and you can have some fantastic results. Yeah, I think there's, there's a really natural kind of extension of this as well. If you think about, um, especially if you do any, um, any sponsored speaking sessions, so um, we we tend to try and be quite protective over what our audience wants. And if yeah. if we do do a sponsored speaking session, we um, it's our content team that try and kind of tailor that for them. So it so it is resonating with the audience. We we try and avoid the, the kind of nightmare scenario of someone just getting up and <laughs> explaining their product and then walking off stage for, um, after twenty minutes because that doesn't work for the sponsor. And no, doesn't work for us. So, nobody gets anything from that, right? Yeah. And then like you can take some of the technologies that you're talking about and I think you can really enhance that sponsor experience using those because you're, you're, you're using a live version of tailoring a session into making sure that they are getting the most out of that session at that time. Yep. Um, and if you can get that right, you're delivering really good value to, um, to a sponsor who's paying to speak to that audience. So I think that's, the, that's kind of an extra application that you've, you've got to think about and can work really well yeah absolutely back to your point earlier about taking an idea and, and and asking an audience you know what do they think of that idea before going and then in your way and using that technology presents a really key opportunity for maybe a sponsor to to pitch and engage and refine the process and actually live survey a key audience that they wouldn't really be able to touch upon in any other way. Like email surveys are not going to return the same kind of input as a live pitch event, speaking opportunity, content driven kind of survey. And, and that now presents itself as a really cost effective way to, to, to make sure that your ideas sound with your market before you maybe go off and do this big campaign after the event of launch and marketing and products and description and, and words and language and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, really I, cool. And I'm like, I saw an amazing example. I think it was, um, it was a live speaking session at, um, that was sponsored at one of our events. And I think the, the real time survey was why don't you want our product? And it's really simple. Mm. Um, but there is a specific audience that sat and chosen to listen to that presentation and they were asking which of them don't want it and which of them why if they don't want it why don't they want it yeah and it's very rare that you have the audience that is listening to a pitch but doesn't want your product and that is probably the most valuable customer feedback you can get right like if, if, if there's one source of improvement it's those pe people yeah and it's just so hard to isolate them normally there's also statistics that um, there's a report out which I'll, I'll happily share with you, James. But it, it, suggests, it says that 
Um, when somebody engages with a brand at an event, they are 95% more likely to purchase from that customer, from that, from that brand, sorry, should I say. So let's take a live event environment. Nobody's corralling and nobody's forcing and cattle prodding these people into, into, a, into a session, right? They're there because they want to be there. There's a level of interest. So if I see a one of, uh, let's say, Event Tech Live, and, and I know a company is presenting, but obviously with the idea of lead generation and they want brand exposure, if I see 30, 40, 50, 100 people in that session, that to me says, that's 100 buyers for you. That's, that's 100 people who are giving you 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour of their time to come and listen to you talk about what you do and what you're, what you're discussing. Then bring that into you know, event design. If they use that as an opportunity and cleverly and use technology to understand those individual people, they've got all the information. They've got the need find. They've got all the information to go back and pitch them afterwards and convert them into, into customers, right? Or like you said, find out why they don't want and come up with the answer of why they should or refine their products and process. So yeah. you know, events, technology, and sponsored sessions like you all combined present really powerful routes to market as a, as a sales process because of the, the dynamics of it are unique to you don't really get that in, in any other kind of medium in marketing. Yeah, let, let me ask you an interesting question that I think we've, we've been struggling to deal with. And don't okay. ask me for the answer back because I don't have it. <laughs> and then we've, um, let's, take a, let's take a virtual event versus a live event. Mm -hmm. and um, let's say it's w one single speaking session. At a live event, if, it's, if, if it is the session before lunch, does the fact they've stayed in that room mean they are just as interested as the people who have stayed in a sort of a, a virtual online session? Because you can leave that session at the click of a button, right? Like you don't have to make a fool of yourself by standing up and walking past 10 rows to get out of it. You, sure. you can just leave a Zoom call by clicking leave meeting. You can. So do, do, we, do we therefore need to adjust like the metrics with which we judge speaking sessions at virtual events based on the number of dropouts and, and we need to be more tolerant with virtual events because it's that easy to get out of them? Um, Interesting. So I think there are a couple of caveats with online events, virtual events. Um, I think the benefits are actually you can cast the net much, much wider as an event organizer, which therefore means actually the opportunity for your sponsor or your speaker is much, much greater. So when they're in, when any, whenever numbers increase, even a small percentage is a large number of people, isn't it? Right. If you've got 10,000 and 1% drop out, that's a lot more than 10% of 10, 1% uh, of 10, should I say? So you've, you've kind of got to, you know, do some kind of working out of like, okay, as the audience grows, the high, the chances of this being less relevant to somebody is higher. And I think Facebook is a good example of this, you know, lots of Facebook live streams, things like that get high engagement numbers because of the way that the algorithm works, but 8,000 people seeing it does not necessarily tell you whether those people have seen it for five minutes or five hours. It's just yeah, yeah. an engagement statistic. So yeah, I think in order to quantify value to a sponsor, we need to focus on engagement rates with those people rather than overall riding numbers. 
Um, and we do this with, with our podcasts and, and with our video content and all that kind of stuff. We can track engagement rates. And that plays into how long we format a podcast for, how long we shoot a video for, even, even on Event Industry News, how long an article is because we've understood how much people's attention. That, though, then plays into, as organizers, we need to tell the sponsor that 45-minute session is not necessarily the way to see to, to get success because you are going to lose people. So one of the most enjoyable sessions I've ever done is seven minutes, right? Now, yes, okay, you could argue that in somebody's head, if you are charging X number of thousand pounds for a pitch, then 45 minutes seems much better value than seven minutes. But is it about the time that you're allowed to speak and talk or is it about the actual return on investment, you know? If, if, if I told you, you've got seven minutes, but at the end of it, you'll get a hundred grand, but at the end of 45 minutes, you'll get 50 grand. Which one would you go for? Well, you'd obviously go for the higher number. It's the, it's the, it's the output that makes the most sense, not the amount of time that you're on, on stage. So I think it takes a little bit of understanding of what works in which environment. I think, you know, I know even some keynote speakers that are actually taking 45 minute presentations and breaking them down into three individual sessions. So that an organizer can either have that as one big session, have two parts of the session, have one part of the session, or actually spread that one big keynote over three sessions so people's minds are a bit more in tune with and less distracted. So when it comes to sponsored content, when it comes to you know, roundtables, pitches, those kind of things, I think we just need to play around with the formats to find what, what fits and what fits with one event might work differently with another event or an industry, should I say. Um, but yeah, you are right, James. I think we, we have to kind of look at what are we providing in terms of information that proves ROI to our sponsors? Because unfortunately, they don't have that physical handshake and that dwell time that they would necessarily have at a live event, which instills into them value, right? Because it's a physical, it's a, an ephemeral thing that happens there and then. Yeah, but in, in, in some ways, those the engagement metrics of virtual events are probably a bit more true in that mm. you're not picking up the people who are sitting in there because they're waiting for the next session. And you're not picking up the people who are waiting for um, their friend to finish their <laughs> session. I, I think yeah. you're, you're, you're picking up the people who have taken time out of their day to sit there at home and pay attention to that speaker for that amount of time. Um, I, I think, yeah, there's definitely something on short, shorter sessions, but in some way the engagement metrics are probably a better reflection of what's going on for virtual events, definitely. Well, I'd like to ask you another question, James, because um, I'll give you my own experience, um, and I will caveat this with, I also play um, videos for my young son on YouTube, but my statistics said that I spent 44 hours last month on YouTube watching content. Now, a lot of that content is like sub five minutes, you know, but I keep coming back to that platform to engage with some of the creators, some of the speakers there because I like their content and I want to engage with more of it. Now, the way that we thought about events in the past is very much that it has to happen within a period of time because people have got other stuff to do, right? So it's a day, two days, half day, three days, if you look at, and maybe if you've got a, ma a major event, you get people's attention for a week, but there's very few and far between ones of those. But as an organizer, I think actually what we can do with virtual events is think more like media companies 
and think about how we can drip feed content out and keep pulling people back and finding new people for those sponsors. So that sponsor at one of your events gets 45 minutes to pitch on that, but that's it. He's got 45 minutes and that's it. He's done. You know, that's his, that's his lot or her lot. When it comes to a digital pitch, it might only be seven minutes, but people could keep coming back and uh, over and over and over again, new people and repeat people to engage with that content. So when you're presenting like a qualified lead funnel, then you can present that actually it's a 12 month campaign. The pitch just happens to be seven minutes. Um, and that's a way that I think you can overcome some of those challenges as an organizer when it comes up against sponsors and exhibitors saying, I don't believe in online. I don't believe in online. My question to them, do you have a website? Do you believe in that? They're like, 8 billion websites out there or something like that, but you've still got a website, right? And you still put social media content out and you still pump out content to bring people to that website. It's a place for people to check. What you can present to them is this digital offering is, is an extension of that to an audience that you can't reach otherwise through, otherwise through us. And I think that's the way that we need to just kind of reposition what a, an online event play is and th start thinking about in a mark in an online marketing format rather than a, an event format. Yeah, no, I, we, we take that and we, and we apply it to, um, to not just sponsored content as well, but also the content that we're really passionate about delivering for our, for our, for our, our public sector audience. So, especially at a time like this, like they're, they, they are at the front line of this crisis. Um, I think we're, we're like, we're, as a company quite delighted that they're finally getting some of the some of the appreciation that they deserve yeah um but they 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 probably don't have the time right now to be attending full 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 day events especially when they're not 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 allowed to leave the house that's very clear but it doesn't mean that you can't add value to that specific audience they still need mm -hmm. information yeah um and, and you can get really creative with the types of content, like short, snappy content that helps them do their job or helps them run their day is just as valuable. So let me ask you, um, I'm going to put you on the spot again, uh, again here. What does the perfect virtual event platform look like to GovNet? Is, is there one? Is there one solution that could do all the different types of events or do you think you need to choose based on? The objective of the event are you working with a virtual platform at the moment i don't expect you to name any names but it'd be interesting to see where you are in in, in that kind of thought process so we we are running um, a fair fair amount of vir virtual webinars um, yep. and they're very simple and i'm sure you can fairly guess who we are you using because it seems to be the same as who everyone else is using um but if i was looking for that kind of perfect end-to-end -end solution it would have to um it would really have to capture some of the stuff we spoke about already so i think webinars do the learning bit well um a good example are is um so we've got het which is our healthcare technology show um they've been running some web webinars to support the frontline audience mm. um let's take primary care as an example i think most primary care consultations have gone from being 10 percent online to 90 percent online yeah, and they don't have the infrastructure to deal with that, and they're fighting to keep up. So, um, we've been helping that audience deal with that specific challenge, and webinars are a great way to do that. Um, but really, it's all kind of um, it's just dealing with the information flow part of what I think an event is. 
yep. the bits that we spoke about earlier that I would want it to deal with. So I would want it to have a way of connecting the people with similar challenges. It would probably have to have a way of identifying those with the common challenges, which is a really tough bit. Yep. Um, and then some kind of follow-up, like follow-up on platforms is terrible. Like, I, Interesting, you know, yeah. It's so hard to take those people with common challenges, put them in a, a format or a room where they can communicate those challenges beyond just sharing their contact details. Yep. Um, and if they could get the knowledge bit, which I think they're doing a good job at already, they could get the connection bit right, and they could get the follow-up bit, to me that's that's kind of the perfect event platform see that's really interesting you've touched upon something there that i've not actually discussed with anybody else and it's follow-up and i'll come on to that bit but i think what i'm hearing from you is the perfect virtual platform is 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 not necessarily the one that's the zoom or the on 24 or the hop in or anything like that it's, it's not necessarily the delivery what's actually valuable is all that backend information, statistics, and data so that you can then make data-led decisions on your future event marketing for that event and, and help people to connect up with the content and the others that, that make more sense. Automate some of that process at the event and leading up to the event so that it, it kind of takes the heavy lifting off the organizer to help facilitate that. And then probably a lot of statistics and, and ROI proving information so that when it comes to the digital rebook, all the, all the dashboard and statistics are there laid out in front of that, that marketing person or that CEO or that CFO, whoever's made the decision on, on actual booking that, that, that investment. And then when it comes to you and your sales, your sales team and them, they can literally have that you know, very factual-based conversation around data and, and, and stats and tracking and all that kind of stuff to say, this is what this experience looked like for you. We do some of that event tech live with, with some of our technology partners and with our rebook team. And it's a very compelling conversation because you can kind of go, it's, it's less opinion based and less kind of like what's what they think's happened and based on fact. And you can also do some comparison with competitor or with other companies or approaches and all that kind of stuff. So any virtual or online event platform, build out the stats side because that's what that's what the organizers want they want they want all of that tangible information to go to their customers and go you should rebook you should in increase investment and actually we've got this other great thing later on down the road that you should come to as well because and because uh, this worked for you yeah that's it but just on your on your follow-up i think that's really interesting because there's kind of a cliff face isn't there when it comes to events is that we can do all of that work leading up to the event we can do all of the work to connect people up at the event and we can see the lead stats come through and we can see the lead tracking and the, the lead scanning and all that kind of stuff. We can see what people go to sponsored sessions and all that kind of stuff. But then there's this cliff face of what happens with that data afterwards. Well, that data gets exported by whoever and then puts into a marketing system, which is all different. And then lots of people do different things with it. Some leave it and don't do anything with it. Some, you know, put it into highly sophisticated hub spots and marketo systems that are, you know, advanced and, and do really, really well at, you know, putting leads into hot leads in front of salespeople with, and they've got very sophisticated um, uh, systems, but let's be honest with about it. Like, when you look at an exhibition or event portfolio, the number of exhibitors that are going to have those sophisticated systems in place are, are probably not 100% of your audience, right? You know, we deal with lots of small and medium-sized businesses. And what's worse is just like, like I said, 
having that data kind of disappear into nowhere and not knowing what's going off with afterwards. So maybe there's an opportunity in a system that pre presents the content and does all the event delivery and all the matchmaking, all the networking, but then actually takes care of a month or two's worth of the marketing automation and follow-up for the exhibitor and sponsor. Now that would be an interesting play because not only do you have that information yourself, you're telling your customer that while you're busy doing kind of other events and, and the rest of your business, we're going to nurture this into hot leads and tell you where to put your, your sales team, where to put their effort and then show you even more statistics and more information out of the back end of it. That could be a really interesting play. Yeah, I think there's, there's two sides to it. So there's that side that I completely agree with, but there's also a side which is um, keeping your visitor audience engaged Mm -hmm. by keeping them in touch with each other. And I think that's equally an important part of yeah. So a lot of the marketing platforms you're talking about are great at, at helping me as an event organizer co um, coordinate my communication with the audience after the event. But it does nothing to facilitate the, their interaction with each other. And actually, it's that tail engagement that is really valuable to them and yep. is make, make them so much more likely to um, feel feel close to your product and want to come back next year. If they can say, oh, I went to that event last year. It was amazing on the day. But also they facilitated some interactions with me and people who have similar challenges to me in the three months that followed the event. And that has made a difference to my job. Like that is yeah. what we want to try and facilitate. And it's not easy. Um, I, I, I think it's often neglected because we focus on, well, how do we get the sponsors to understand the visitors better? But mm -hmm. visitors interacting with each other is as important to, to growing an event sustainably over time. Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree with that. And, and I'm probably taking some of my own experience from being a member of a number of WhatsApp groups, a number of Facebook groups, a number of LinkedIn groups where... I'm in those groups for, for different reasons. You know, some might be about event marketing. We've got one for event technology with about 12, 1300 members on it. Um, we've got a LinkedIn group of over a hundred thousand. That's kind of more of an international bigger kind of no real objective. There's no focus, but then some of the smaller ones are very focused on a particular area. So I agree with you. I think, you know, as organizers to be able to facilitate those like-minded people coming together in platforms, groups, whatever technology that, that might look like, that's super valuable long-term from yeah. building community, right? Um, building trust in your brand as an administrator and facilitating that and the value that you bring to facilitate that community. And that doesn't necessarily have to be financially led at that moment in time. You don't need to paywall it or, you know, it doesn't need to be sponsored or anything like that. But you're right that to, to be the organizer that provides the platform in which, you know, people stay connected, that's super valuable, isn't it? It's like it, it it's is, extremely yeah. valuable. Yeah. But, but, but you've got to be careful of the big room thing. So let, let's take some of our larger shows where 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 we attract five thousand people plus like if you put all them in one single platform without any segmentation or kind of topic structure after the show it would be like oh i'm really scared to raise my hand kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. if, if, if you could bundle them together based on their challenges and kind mm. of facilitate it that way that's that's really powerful yeah and i, I suppose also some of those what i would call safeguard and chatham house um 
areas so maybe a supply is not allowed in or maybe you have to be of a so I'm, I'm a member of the um, society of independent show organizers and we had a small business round table last year at their event in miami and you had to be under a certain amount of money and that was really comfortable for me to be in because i knew that everybody else around the table was just like me so i could talk about my challenges without fear of reprisal or, or other people or the big boys going, ah, what do they know? They're, 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 you know, we know better kind of thing. And maybe even yeah. some competitive elements. So, so yeah, it's a really interesting point, James, that, you know, community led technology around virtual and hybrid and online events could be one of those things that, that connects everything up to the larger physical um, and face-to-face -face events. Yeah, I think the, the, there's definitely options out there. Like you mentioned, there's LinkedIn groups, things like that, but, I, I don't think they really deliver the the kind of level of experience that we're talking about in this. Um, so definitely if someone can dedicate some time to making that for me, that would be absolutely fantastic. All right, then this, this leads me on to my final question. And I feel like I need to bring you back for a part two. I did say this before we kicked off the inside um, two kindred spirits that, that, that passionate about technology. One of the things that I hear a lot, um, from, from my customers at Event, Tech, like Event Technology Awards is about approach when it comes to organizers like yourself. You know, how do they cut through the noise and say, James, we've got something fantastic we'd really love to show you? Because I'll be honest with you, I've been on some demos of other te event technology platforms in the past and they were absolutely terrible. You know, I'm like, how anybody would keep engaged with this or buy this afterwards is, 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 is not happening. So, when it comes to you and your own your, yourself, like if a technology company wants to kind of approach you, what's the right way to, to do that? What, what's your advice to them in terms of, you know, pitch, process, follow up, all that kind of stuff? What's of interest? What's not of interest? All that kind of thing. Okay, so um, should should I be very honest about what stuff? Uh, uh, absolutely, stuff? absolutely. I think I think honesty is the only way that people people learn and, and evolve and, and get better at what they've got to do. Okay, so if... You say Event Tech Live, by the way. My default on LinkedIn, if someone tries to add me with a sales or business development role is that, that cross button rather than the yeah. tick button. So immediately for me, it's about push rather than pull. I, I, I want to find an event tech solution when I have a problem. Mm -hmm rather than the other way around. Um, so it's about being visible and um, searchable, I guess, yeah. rather than trying to approach people. And, and that might just be me, um, but there's so many solutions out there. I, I know from my investment days that like this SaaS revolution we've been through over the last 10 years has been unbelievable. Yeah. In the amount of off the shelf, incredible software solutions to solve most challenges, is brilliant and but the same applies to events but the problem is there's a lot of them so it's a um i think i personally look at reviews i think things like capterra are great at finding mm -hmm. what solutions people are using yep. actually reading some of the reviews rather than just going off the ratings mm. that that really helps but i i really want to have a challenge first then i want to find a provider um i don't really like being approached unless I'm at an event tech event um, in which case it's quite fun to go around and see what what yeah. what the latest is like what what the different providers are offering it's a, it's a bit more fun and I can 
engage and if someone speaks to me too much I can run away and I think it's it it's a bit of both but I I like to find stuff when I need it okay so I think the thing that I would take out with that is when it comes to I think about myself as a salesperson and it's about giving before receiving isn't it it's about maybe being a specialist and an evangelist of what you're offering but without necessarily saying you have to use us or we are the best or this is the only way to do etc it's about going okay so let's maybe let's let's take audience engagement let's say in I'm going to inform you and tell you, James, of all the fabulous ways that you can use engagement technology. I'm going to build brand trust with you. I'm going to build, you know, your respect up for me as an individual. And then when you go, oh, I need somebody to help me with um, audience engagement, I'm going to turn to that person over there because they, I can remember this article from all this LinkedIn post or I saw them on EIN or something like that. Like that, that then is what I'm hearing from you is that's the best way is, is actually be a resource of help for individuals like yourself out in the industry tailored to what obviously they do. And then they're going to be the first person you think of or people that you think of when it comes to overcoming your own challenges. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the biggest problem in, in software and especially event software is trying to expose the problems you've solved for your previous clients. Mm. A lot of websites look very similar. Like if, if you run down like the list of pros and cons and, and, and then benefits, it's hard to, to distinguish them apart. Whereas I really like, and I've seen some really good content pieces by event tech providers where they've run a case study on what the yeah. specific problem a client had, how they dealt with it. And the client tells them what it was like to work with that company. Like that, that to me builds up so much more trust than, adding me on LinkedIn yeah. or yeah. something like that. I'd agree with you. I, I like to think, I like to think, and I, I do give this advice to event technology companies that position yourself as a software company with a service rather than as a service. Um, and I think that's just very important because the way that the events industry is, we are a service led based industry. We serve our customers, we serve our exhibitors, we serve our attendees, and we expect the same of our suppliers, right? Whether they're providing a chair, a table, or a piece of technology that we use on the back end, it's it's all about service. So that's my advice to people. Anybody that's listening to this as a event technology company and thinking about picking the phone up to James, think about how you can support him first as a service as, as an individual and a service rather than here's my tech. And and that's that's what I'd say. Um, mate, I am going to have to wrap up. Um, we could definitely do a Joe Rogan style three-hour podcast where we go really off into the to the deep dark realms of, of event tech and event industry and, and other stuff. Um, for anybody listening that wants to connect up with you individually or check more about GovNet and how they can get involved with your events, where do they go? Is LinkedIn the best? Uh, where whereabouts do you hang out? Yeah, I think the best thing to do is visit our website, which is govnet.co.uk. Um, feel free to add me on LinkedIn. Um, James Tucker Govnet should be able to locate me on there somewhere. Um, awesome. And you'll see, our pro you'll see our products via those two. 
Perfect. Um, anybody listening, if you've enjoyed today's content, please do connect up with James, check out Governor, share this podcast. It really does help with the discovery. And obviously, if you've liked it, then share it with your network if they think they'll find it of interest. James, we'll definitely be inviting you back and I'll probably invite you as well to come along and, and, and discuss what GovNet does in a technology capacity at Event Tech Live later on in the year. Thanks again for coming on, mate, and I look forward to speaking to you in the near future again. No, I've um, really enjoyed it. It's been, um, it's been, it's been nice, nice to find another kind of kindred spirit who, who likes um, technology and um, specifically events on technology as much as I do. So um, it's been a pleasure. Awesome, mate. Catch you soon. Thank you.